Christ. Amen. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and imagine a desert. What do you see? What do you feel? What do you hear? Is it dry? Is it hot? Is it lifeless? Is it empty? Does it feel hopeless? Okay, you can open your eyes now. In our text today, we're, we're doing our series on Isaiah. We're in Isaiah chapter 35. And Isaiah talks about being in the wilderness. And up here in the mountains, when you hear the word wilderness, you might think dense, thick, green forest with a stream running through it, right? That's wilderness for us. But for Isaiah, that's not wilderness. For Isaiah, this is wilderness. That is just on the east side of the Jordan River, and it looks like that. Pretty unhospitable place. Maybe there's some water there, but good luck finding it. It is dry, it is empty, it is hot, it is for the most part lifeless, and if you're stuck out there, it may even be hopeless. That's the wilderness. And in our reading for today from Isaiah, in verse 1, he talks about the wilderness. Jeff Manning, in his book, The Land Between, he describes the wilderness experience of the Israelites. See, the Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt. And around 1400 B.C., God miraculously, by his mighty hand, delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt and brings them to their own land, a promised land. And did they get there right away? No. They wandered. They wandered for 40 years. And contrary to some reports, they did not wander because Moses was a man and would not ask for directions. <laughs> they wandered because they needed to. See, they'd been in Egypt for generations. And who knows how much of the culture and the theology of the Egyptians had gotten into their hearts and their minds, and who knows how much they knew of the one true God. But in the wilderness, they were going to find out. They were going to find out about the one true God. And he would guide them. He would direct them. He would discipline them. And he would lead them. They found out in the wilderness. They found out in the land between. Have you ever been, have you ever wandered in a wilderness? Not like literally, but if you have, glad you're here. <laughs> but you've had a wilderness time, a wilderness experience. It's those times like uh, you discover your employer is downsizing. And before you know it, you are out of a job with no options in the near future. And it feels like you're lost, like you're wandering in a wilderness. Have you been there? You get a phone call at 4 a.m. You find out your dad is in the hospital and you need to get back home quick. You know where you're going, but you don't know what to do. And you're in the wilderness. It's those times when the test results come in 
and they're not good. And the wilderness is staring you right in the face. It's a time when the marriage is struggling, and the walls are built up, and lines are drawn in the sand of the wilderness. You've been there. And when you're in the wilderness, it looks dry and dead. But the wilderness is actually very fertile ground. Because in the wilderness is a place where God can build incredible faith, abiding character, and miraculous examples of his grace. The problem is, is that same wilderness ground can also bring out and grow bitterness and anger and resentment and fear. So how do you leave the wilderness years better off than when you entered them, instead of worse off. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And in the wilderness, God gives signs. God gives directions. To Moses and his people, some of those signs were, were very, very visible. It was a pillar of cloud by day and a, and a fire at night. But what are the signposts for us today? And one of the first signposts that God gives in the wilderness is a signpost of, of trust. It's the first marker of the wilderness, because without that, you, you can't get through the wilderness better off than when you entered it. It's a simple trust. King David, in his Psalms, demonstrates this best than I've ever seen it ever anywhere else. And my favorite psalm is, is not Psalm 23. That's everybody's favorite psalm, right? You get it. The Lord's my shepherd. That's, it's a, all right, it's pretty good. I'll, I'll grant it that. But my favorite psalm is Psalm 13. It says this. David writes this. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Can you believe this is in the Bible? It's David mad at God. It's David saying to God, I don't know what you're doing. And right now, it looks like you're doing a pretty bad job of things. David's in the wilderness. He's not sure what to do or where to go. He's not even sure if he's going to live through it. He says this. My enemy will say I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And then he adds this. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David is walking through the wilderness. And he's not sure how he's going to make it out. He's not sure how it's all going to end. But he knows this. He knows what God has done for him in the past. And he knows what God has promised for him for the future. And he knows that God really is on his side. And that one way, somehow, God will see him through. David trusts. He's not sure how it's going to happen. 
and he's not sugarcoating anything. He's very blunt and very honest with God. And so when we're walking through the wilderness, it's important to be blunt and honest with God. It's important to say, Lord God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm supposed to learn from this. But Lord, I, I know what you've done for me in the past. And I know my future is secure in you. And you will see me through somehow. And so Lord, I'm going to walk through this wilderness experience and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that you're going to see me through. Because without that, the wilderness will grow bitterness and anger and resentment. Mannion puts it this way. He wrote this. We can discourage complaints residency in our lives by inviting another guest to move in with us. And that guest is trust. That's the first signpost. The second signpost of wandering in the wilderness is a common grace. That common grace is a grace of God that God shows in small ways. Grace in general is the grace that God shows in, in big ways. It's his forgiveness. It's his, his life in you. It's that life that God promises through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is grace. But there are common graces. Those little moments. Those little times where you're like, wow, oh, God is really watching over me. It's those times when you're driving down the road and you hit that icy spot on I-70 and your car does like three 360s, right? And you're, you're, you're stopped and you're like, you can't even get your hands off the wheel because they're stuck to the steering wheel. And you're facing the wrong direction on I-70 and there's nobody around you. And you're like, Lord God, thank you, right? Common grace. It's those times when you wake up in the morning and you've got food on the table. It's common grace. When you go to bed at night and there's a roof over your head. Common grace. It's all little gifts from God. And here's the cool thing. When someone else is wandering through the wilderness, they need you to extend common grace. See, one of the reasons that God puts us together in community is so that we can look around and say, who needs me today? And that involves this community, it involves the community you live in, it involves the community you work in. God puts you in that place to say, who needs me today? And that's a cool thing. But there's one problem. The problem is this, is when you're in the wilderness, you want out, like now, right? And when you see someone you love who's wandering in the wilderness, who's going through a really tough time, you want to help them and you want to fix the problem and get them solved now, right? Because you love that person and when they hurt, you hurt. But they've got to go through the wilderness. See, you can't save them because it's not your job. Stephen Ministries, a group I was involved in some years ago, and they had a great saying, I loved it. It said this, you are the caregiver. God is the cure giver. See the difference? You're the caregiver, but God is the cure giver. And there are times in our lives we try to take over God's role. 
We try to walk into a situation going, I'm going to fix you, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to solve all of your problems, and then you won't hurt anymore, and when you don't hurt anymore, I won't hurt anymore. I saw this uh, some years ago, I was in California, and this lady came up to me, and her husband had passed away six months prior. And she said to me, she goes, can you pray for me, I'm really upset. I said, what's going on? She goes, well, my friend just tried to set me up on a blind date. Six months? You're probably not ready for a blind date yet, are you? She goes, no, no, I'm not ready. I can't believe she was so insensitive. Like, well, she doesn't know any better. She's just trying to fix you because you're hurting, and she's hurting, and she doesn't want to hurt anymore. So I was at a funeral some years ago, and an older gentleman had lost his wife of 60-plus years. And at the reception, he is, he's grieving at the reception. <clears throat> And some very well-intentioned souls said, maybe we should get him on antidepressants. Mm. Going, it's been a week. <laughs> Let him cry. Let him cry. This is good. He needs to be in the wilderness right now. And you get him out too soon, it's not good. You're the caregiver. God's a caregiver. See, when a dentist drills into a tooth, or when a surgeon cuts, it hurts, right? I love it when they say it's minor surgery. Do you love that? Like, it's minor surgery. So it's minor, it's not you. When it's me, it's major, right? It hurts. But it doesn't mean it's bad. When we walk through the wilderness, God invites us to walk with us. And God invites you to walk with others who are going through the wilderness. But to walk with someone doesn't mean to fix them. And it doesn't mean to cure them. It's not your job. Because if you do fix a problem, then you become that person's God. And to paraphrase the theological musings of the Hulk, we make puny gods. We can give care. And care of the body of Christ is a common grace that points to the extraordinary grace of Jesus. It's a meal at time of need. It's a phone call or a visit at time of crisis. It's just listening. It's showing up and helping. One of the things I hear at funerals all the time is, if you need anything, let me know. And it's one of the worst things you can say at a funeral. Because they will never let you know they don't. They will never let you know. It's better if you just show up. You show up and you're mowing their line. Shh. Mowing the line. They'll be like, what are you doing? I'm mowing your line. Go get some coffee. Right? It's better if you just show up and help in some tangible way. And show a common grace. That's signpost number two. God gets us through wilderness when we trust. God gets us through the wilderness when we receive common grace from those around us. We just receive it. And God calls us to be sharers of that common grace as well. Signpost number three is, is redemptive pain. What's the worst? What's worse than suffering? And the answer I came up with, the only thing worse than suffering is suffering for no reason. Right? There's suffering and you don't see the point of it, that's worse. If you're suffering, if you get surgery right, and you're like, I'm in pain, but this should make my knee better. You can 
put up with it. If you're suffering and you can't see the reason, that's hard. I mean, sometimes the reason's this. Mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. That's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> That's the despair.com. Don't ever go there. Don't make you depressed. It's horrible. You're like, ah, that's why I'm suffering. Show other people what not to do. It's not the reason. It's not the reason. It's in the wilderness years that we can best learn about God. It's in the wilderness years that God can best grow trust and faith within us. And sad to say, the wilderness years are the best teacher. They really are. Because when things are good, it's great. But it's really hard to learn trust when things are good. It just is. It just is how we are. But when things are hard, I find in my life that my prayers are longer, they're more intense. I'm more in the word looking for answers. When I get through it, I say, Lord God, you brought me through. I was pretty upset with you. I was pretty angry. I was pretty discouraged. I was pretty disappointed. And Lord God, you gave me, you replaced my discouragement with faith. And you replaced my hopelessness with hope. And you replaced my anger with love. And you replaced my bitterness with grace. Lord God, thank you. C.S. Lewis, he put it this way, he said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes pain causes us to change direction. You've heard the phrase, you've got to hit rock bottom before you'll change. Sometimes that happens in the wilderness years. Sometimes we hit it and go, I need to change. And Lord God, I would not have learned this any other way. Sometimes God uses the wilderness to increase trust because there's just no other option. I have to trust you, Lord, because I have no other answers. And that's the wilderness signpost. The final sign is the cross. When you're walking through the wilderness years, the most important sign you'll ever see is a cross. Even looks like a signpost, doesn't it? The cross points to Jesus who suffered for you. This is the great thing about Jesus. Oh, it's one of the great things about Jesus. He's gone through any everything that you're going to go through in your life, that you might go through in your life. Whatever you've gone through in your life, Jesus has gone through it already. Jesus was poor. Do you know that? He was poor. Jesus was homeless. At one point he said, birds have a place to lay their head, but the Son of Man doesn't. He was homeless. Jesus was criticized. He was abandoned by his friends and his family. He was unjustly accused. He was abused, verbally and physically. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was killed. 
And whatever you've gone through in your life, Jesus can say, truly, I understand. I've been there. I, I really do know what you're going through. And it's not because he's God, he knows all things. It's because he's gone through it. Because there's some knowledge you can only get by going through it. And Jesus has. And through our suffering, through your suffering, you begin to understand the depth of Jesus' love for you. I remember when I was, uh, it was my freshman year of college, and I had to get my wisdom teeth pulled. All four of them, right? And some of you, you've gotten your wisdom teeth pulled, and it was no big deal. I envy you. I got mine pulled, and I was full-blown chipmunk mode. I mean, just, just swollen out. I mean, just huge. It was huge. And then I took the, the tunnel with the coating. <laughs> oh, man. It felt like there was a string inside my arm, and someone was pulling it out slowly all night long. So I woke up the next morning, I'm like, no more coating. That was horrible stuff. So I started taking Advil, which helped reduce the pain, but Advil thins your blood, and you know, your mouth stuff, you bleed a lot in mouth surgeries, so I was swallowing blood for a week and didn't know it. I was miserable for a week. It swollen, I couldn't eat, it was horrible. I remember sitting on the couch, and you know how you do that when you feel bad? You do, you do this on the couch? With your remote control. Right? And my dad came up to me, and he sat right down next to me, and he said, son, I am so sorry. If I could take this pain from you, I would. You feel like that as a parent? If I could take this from you, I would. My friends, Jesus took it. The punishment that we should have had on the cross, he took. He did the one thing that our parents never could do for us, and that's take our pain. And he took it. Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. Jesus took the punishment of our sin upon himself so that you would not have to endure the worst suffering of all. And in the wilderness years, there's nothing better than remembering that. Imagine a desert. It's hot. It's dry. It's empty. But my friends, it's not lifeless. And it certainly isn't hopeless. It's not hopeless because the tomb is empty. And Jesus invites you to trust, to receive grace, and to grow, and to know his resurrection love for you. And that's what Isaiah 35 is all about. The desert and parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus it will burst into bloom and will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of her God. Strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. God will come. will come to save you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there are some of us here who are, who are wandering in the wilderness right now. And it is no fun. Lord God, 
and those times we, we question and we wonder and we get angry. But Lord God, in the midst of all of us, all that, may, may we always remember what you've done and what you promised to do. Lord Jesus, for those who were wandering, Lord, may they receive examples of, of your common grace, Lord God. And for when that happens, Lord, may we step up as your body of Christ. May we step up to be your hands and your feet. Because that's what you've called us to do. And Lord Jesus, thank you for your cross. Amen. Amen. May the peace of God, which guards hearts and minds, guard your heart and minds.